presenting to you an Ista World podcast. Thank you, guest speaker. We will now go through the questions put forward by Ista's newsletter subscribers. And just to go over the title again, it is Becoming a Disciple of the Holy Truth, also known as Reuniting the Soul with the Holy Truth. Right, the first few questions are about the Holy Truth itself. Here we go. How do I explain the Holy Truth to a lay person who has no concept of spiritual matters? Welcome, friends, to this question answer session. Um, I will answer the questions brought before me as clearly as possible and briefly. So the first question is, how do I explain yeah, the, the Holy, Holy truth, truth to somebody who does not know about it? Yeah. The best explanation is example. If you become a living example of a follower of the high truth, people will see that example as a reality that exists here in this plane of existence far better than the imaginary concepts you can describe through words and language. So I would say, if they directly ask you a question related to it, answer to the best of your ability. But the best answer is to live it. Be the example, so they can see the benefits, they can understand what it is that you are following in a real reality terms, rather than in just conceptual terms. And then you can explain the philosophy, refer them to the holy books and so on. Um, but you can explain that the holy truth is far above the understanding of the common mind. And one has to engage in the spiritual life to fully understand it. But in the meantime, it is just something that exists beyond the human form, beyond the physical universe and beyond the lower planes of existence that a spiritual aspirant is aspiring to. What do you have to do to become a disciple of the Holy Truth? Well, firstly, we have to explain that the Holy Truth itself is an, a state of existence that precedes every other form of existence that can be described. So it is the origin of the Lord itself. Even. So becoming the disciple of the Holy Truth it's not strictly something that is possible for a human being. But understanding the holy truth, that it is the origin of all origins, and merging with that from which we came, which is our Supreme Lord and Master from the Fifth Realm, our Creator Father or Creator Origin, and letting that being then itself um, merge with its own creator up until we get to the level of the holy truth. That is the way to attach yourself to the holy truth. So the holy truth is a conceptual idea that explains the ultimate origin of all existence, including the Lord itself. Thank you. What does it mean to be a disciple of the holy truth? I thought that was just asked, what does it mean? Um, it, well, again, I've just answered that, that strictly speaking, you cannot be a disciple of the Holy Truth, 
but you can have knowledge of the holy truth. But you can become a disciple of a spiritual path that leads towards attaining the holy truth at the very end of creation. So by attaching yourself to a, a living embodiment of a, phys- of a physical master um, or a perfect saint or a noble mystic allows you access to the highest kingdom of God from which you originally came. And from there, you can then progress eventually over a vast period of time towards the realm of the holy truth when the creation is withdrawn back into itself, where even the Lord no longer exists. For that is the state of the holy truth. Thank you. The next few questions are about disciple. Babaji said that it is very important to become a good disciple. How can I do that? Well, if we do not understand the concept of good as a human being, then I would say we are a human animal. So the idea is to become from a human animal that the biologists and the scientists claim we are, nothing more than a descendant of the great apes, to becoming a human being. And becoming a human being means living a moral and ethical way of life, which simply translates as do unto others as you would have done unto you or cause no harm to yourself or to anything else in creation. So that's a very broad view of good and bad, if you, if you like, in this level of uh, creation. So by becoming a person, a spiritual aspirant, a seeker of the truth, one naturally seeks how is the best way to live in this creation that doesn't cause harm to oneself or to anything else in creation. We call that good. And things that cause harm to ourselves or to anything else in creation, we call that as bad. So that's a simplistic explanation of following good and bad. Do I have to earn merit to become a disciple of the Holy Truth? Well, merit is also karma. And we're born with a certain amount of merit that allows access to a spiritual master in this lifetime. So you can certainly earn greater merit uh, during this lifetime, which affords uh, not only access to the spiritual master, which comes from the past, but greater progress spiritually during this lifetime and a better life in the hereafter. So it's always in one's interest to be a good and noble human being, as mentioned earlier, and that itself earns merit. Are there any characteristics we should be aspiring to so that we can be a good disciple, like a good role model? I think the saints, the holy masters, noble mystics, who come as representatives of the Lord and live a human form are perfect examples. And they live a way of life that we can follow. So if we walk in the footsteps of the saints and follow their example, as closely as we can, as best as we can, do our very best, that that is living a good and noble existence. Can you be a bad disciple or are you just not a disciple at all if you're bad, so to speak? Well, good and bad are relative terms for us. From the Lord's point of view, there's no such thing as good and bad. There's only those who are attaining that state of higher existence and those who are struggling or not attaining or going the opposite way. So from the Lord's point of view, it's a different understanding. From the human point of view, 
Of course, you can be good and bad at anything. A person can be good or bad at playing chess or playing football, <laughs> but they're still a footballer or a chess player. It doesn't, you don't stop being a disciple just because you're not perfect in that role. It just means you require more practice, more effort. If our master has blessed us with so much grace, do we actually owe him or her? See, the masters are selfless. They do not come here looking for reward or recognition or glory of any kind. They come here as ambassadors of absolute mercy and compassion. And they're totally selfless. They have no ego attributes. So therefore they come only to serve the Sangha, only to serve their disciples. So there's nothing you can do or they do not seek anything from you other than you to better yourself and to join them in the kingdom of God. Nothing pleases them more than for you to make an effort to join them in the kingdom of God. For that is the purpose for which they have come, not to be glorified in any human term. Is Bajan more important than Simran? Well, there are different um, states of progress. Ultimately, catching the sound within by doing bhajan is the higher form of meditative practice. And so in this case, in that case, it is superior. Simran leads to bhajan. So Simran precedes bhajan. But Simran is necessary to focus the attention such that we can actually enter a state of bhajan. So without Simran, bhajan cannot be attained. It's very difficult. So masters have prescribed this recitation of a mantra to focus the mind such a point that we can become receptive to the bhajan, to the sound, the shabbat within, that bhajan refers to, the practice of bhajan refers to connecting with the shabbat within, which is actually eminent from our own soul. It's directing us to get in touch with our own soul and towards self-realization. So yes, bhajan is very, very important it is the second part to Simran that allows us access to the truth within. Thank you. Right, there's a few questions around goodness. If God coerced us into being good, we wouldn't really be good because we were forced into it in the first place. Does goodness lie in God allowing us the apparent freedom to make a choice to be good? Well, firstly, the Lord never forces anybody to do anything. This is a man's concept, not the Lord's concept. The Lord allows us to follow our natural destiny, to follow the script and the character for which we have um, taken for this journey, for this adventure, and lets us do things in a timeline of events. So there's no forcing at all. The Lord is merely an observer, a spectator, enjoying the show through us, its creation. So there's no question of the Lord forcing anybody to do anything. Um, I don't remember the second part of the question. Can you repeat that? Does goodness lie in God allowing us the apparent freedom to make a choice to be good? You see, it's not a question of the Lord allowing us. It's what impressions, characteristics we bring with us from life to life. As characters of the play, a script has been prepared for us to follow. And we follow that script along something called a timeline of events. And this timeline crosses many lives. It's not just a question of one lifetime. So 
the only thing we can do is our very best. If we do our very best with the limitations we are born with and the circumstances we're born with, the environment we're brought up with, then this, you could say, is doing something good. Because you're doing your very best, what else can you do? A pint cannot hold a gallon. If it holds a pint, it's doing the best it can. So follow that. Don't be too hard on yourself, but do your very best. And let the Lord decide whether your effort warrants grace or not. Is it true you can't truly be good without increasing your consciousness? Naturally, as one's consciousness raises and gets closer to purity, to truth and to goodness, one becomes a better human being. Raises from the level of the human animal to the level of the human being and then becomes a, a God being and then eventually merges with the Lord. So yes, um, all the, uh, a result of this is goodness. We get a term goodness. For the Lord's point of view, there are just natural evolutionary steps along the progress path, which appear from a human point of view to be more good than others. But it's just a natural expression of our divinity as we get closer to divinity, which we identify as good. To become directly conscious of absolute goodness and love, Will that lead to the good life? Not sure what they mean by the good life, but certainly by focusing our attention and improving ourselves and walking in the footsteps of the saints and following with obedience the instructions of our master if we have one, or making an effort to increase our nobility as human beings certainly improves our quality of life and certainly brings about natural grace and merit that gives us a better opportunity um, to escape the trap of the karmic creation as well as to enjoy a better life whilst in it. Does being truly good to the highest level as a human being mean we have to prioritise the truth above all else? Naturally. If um, if one wants to aspire to the highest goal, one has to embrace that wholeheartedly. So if one embraces the holy truth and that becomes their objective in life, then everything one does is geared towards that. It's a helplessness of the devotee to follow the path that takes them to their goal. People, perhaps even disciples, have projections of what is good and bad in this world, which is their own idea coming from their mind. If consciousness at the highest perspective is all love, where do human beings go wrong? You see, one has to understand that we are multidimensional beings. We're not just physical. We're also the mind, we're also the sensor, sensory body, and we're the soul. So looking at it from a, a lower perspective, uh, we behave according to the character that we have adopted in this plane. But there's no reality to any of that. The objective of high spirituality or true spirituality is for us to realize that we're Atma, the soul, and not the character we are playing, who in essence is an imposter, uh, masquerading as us, portraying to be us. And as a result, we, the character, suffer the consequences. 
if we can raise our awareness, our attention beyond the physical, beyond the mental, beyond the senses, then we will see who we truly are, the soul. And once we identify with the soul, we no longer become slaves of the character we are playing, but actually enjoy the part we are playing in a detached and remote manner. Thank you. Right, the next, there's quite a few questions that come next, and these are general questions. They don't actually relate to the satsang itself. Okay. So these relate to the path, you could say, I've grouped them in that way. So the first one is, what does spirituality truly mean? Well, spirituality means knowing thyself, knowing who you really are. Because all external concepts of knowledge are merely that, external to you. You must know who the experiencer is, because all the experiences are generated by the experiencer. So therefore they're unreal. Every experience you have, every adventure you have, all of it is unreal. The only reality is the experiencer, the one having the experience. So spirituality means, in a pure sense, getting to know who the experiencer is. And once you become in tune with the experiencer, you become the experiencer, then all other um, experiences or all other occurrences become mere illusion. And in fact, then you can simply enjoy them for what they are because they do not bear consequence upon you. Are all of our thoughts also predetermined? And if yes, then we should not be blamed for our choices that we make. Yes, um, if we are following the script that we have accepted in this journey through creation as a particular character, journey through multiple lives and so on, then yes, everything is predetermined and we are merely following the script. But the one who is the observer or the experiencer, the soul, they're not subject to this script. They're merely spectators of it. So if we place our attention only in the character we are playing, then we feel that we are subject to the whims of the script. When the script calls for us to laugh, we laugh. When it calls for us to cry, we cry, and so on. So our perception depends upon at what level of consciousness we are functioning currently. So a spiritually aware individual will see something very differently to a participant in the play of illusion. Is it possible to know the time of our death or is this only revealed to enlightened initiates? Well, this is a question many people want mm -hmm. to know. Of course, naturally, um, it is possible to know, but they're quite right. It's only available to enlightened people because in order for us to convincingly play our part here, we have to remain in constant ignorance, moment to moment. So an enlightened one, however, rises above that ignorance but they also have the ability to deal with knowledge. So they make right use of this knowledge. Otherwise, an ordinary person, given any foresight of anything at all, will make a bad use of it because they don't see the whole picture. So generally, it's not available to them. Okay. What are all the 16 attributes associated with the 16 principal souls located in the fifth realm? 
well, this is a complex matter because many of those attributes do not exist in comparison in human form. They are purely of divine origin and make no sense to describe them all. So I'll refer that questioner to the Sacred Truth series of books, um, which go through the exact descriptions of all of them as best as they can. This is quite a long thing, so it's not appropriate to answer this question now, but to refer them to the Sacred Book series, which they can get from um, ISTE UK. Thank you. Why is understanding relativity so important on this path? Well, I do not know of any master who says that understanding Einstein's theory of relativity Mm -hmm. um, matters at all on this path. They're not connected at all. Um, So I do not, I cannot answer that question because it doesn't actually um, make sense. Uh, Maybe it's worded incorrectly. Okay. Can someone become more conscious simply by learning a new subject, such as psychology, which is a life science? Well, by learning a new physical subject, one becomes physically aware of something in the physical creation. Learning a physical subject never makes one aware of a spiritual realm. So if you want to become aware of something spiritual, you have to do something spiritual, such as meditation, contemplation on a spiritual reality. Only then can your consciousness raise. Learning anything in the physical realm makes you smart in the physical realm, but it does not give you any spiritual insight whatsoever. Okay, this is the last question under this section. And it's like two questions, so I'm going to put them together because it might be just the same answer, it might be slightly different. Why is health and well-being so important on our journey to raise our consciousness? And the other question is, why is being healthy important for serious spiritual practitioners? You see, we are a physical body, which, and we are, at the moment, our attention is placed on this body. Now, in order for us to leave the attention of the body, the body has to be at peace. If the body and the senses are not at peace, how can we transcend them? How can we leave them? If they are agitated, if they are restless, they will make the mind restless too. So if we are to rise above consciously, above the physical realm, we must make sure that the body is at peace. Now, to do that requires a healthy body and a healthy mind. So the practice of health and well-being or or eating a healthy diet and looking after ourselves is absolutely essential to spiritual practice. Because unless our body is at peace and our mind is at rest, how can we ever transcend them? They will agitate us constantly to pay attention to them. So it's very practical. It's not even spiritual. It's a practical and logical thing to do. And if you want to transcend the physical body, that you make sure that the body is at peace and that the mind is at rest. Thank you. Right, the next few questions are directed at yourselves, actually. Okay. The first one is for the main speaker, mm-hmm. and it goes like this. Would you say that you are fearless? In other words, are you afraid of anything? 
Well, I wouldn't say I was fearless because I'm afraid of displeasing my Lord and Master. So that keeps me as much in control as anything here on earth. Um, things here on earth are all illusion to me, so therefore I, I'm not so concerned with them. But I cannot claim to be fearless of the Lord, for I respect my father origin greatly, and I do not want to disappoint him. So in that case, I'm not fearless, until I completely become one with them and no longer exist at any other level. Thank you. Right, the next question I'm going to direct at both of you, and I'd like um, guest speaker to answer it first, if that's okay. Okay. Right. Let's try. <laughs> it's, it's going to be fine, don't worry. Here's the question. Universal love, compassion, truth, honesty, intelligence, kindness, being non-judgmental, selflessness, are just some of the godlike qualities I see in both of you. To me, this means you are godlike in nature and equal to that of a holy master. Would you both agree? So guest speaker, could you answer that please? So firstly, I would like to thanks as to whoever asked this question. So you see, because we both following the footstep of the saint. So these are the quality of the saints and our holy master that actually every one of us have inside ourselves. So just like um, if you want to be a um, good example to wherever you are and inspiring other people to be those godlike quality, then you have to embrace the philosophy and the teaching of the Holy Master that you are follow. For example, just like the sun, the sun is very beneficial to all beings on earth and the sun give immense blessing and grace to us. So if you yourself become just like the sun, wherever you are, so other people can benefit from you and also can be inspired to your godlike quality. And then I hope that you know, we can um, have a better world, a better society to live in. That's why this is the quality um, of, um, of all the goodness that you say. It's not only project in me or the main speaker, it's in every one of us. As you involve evolving more, you will find that within yourselves too. I hope you're. <laughs> I hope you understand what I yeah, say. That's okay. Fine. Thank you. And you, main speaker. It's fine. Um, to add to what the guest speaker said, for myself, I'm just a helpless devotee of the Lord who saved me from the wretched illusion 
and karmic traps that I have spent so many millions of births as others in. My eternal gratitude um, for this salvation means that I devote my entire existence whilst in the lower forms to service of my Lord and Master. So I am helpless to follow this. It's not something that I am capable as a character of doing. It is all the Lord's grace. And I can only thank the Lord in gratitude and appreciation that my life is lived worthwhile in humility, serving the Lord and serving humankind. Thank you. Right, this last sort of personal question is for you, guest speaker. Okay. Is it true that 100% faith in my master won't happen until I transcend the physical realm via meditation? No, it's not like that. We actually can have 100% faith in our master while living here in this physical form. You see, because um, all the holy master, they manifest themselves here in physical form too, and also go through their physical life just like us. So it is possible for us to build up relationship with them in the physical form to build up our faith. So as our faith grow, it's become a living faith and more and more living faith. You will add up to 100% faith at the end of your journey. So yes, it's not only in meditation or um, when you're completely transcend the physical form, you can actually be in physical form and have 100% living faith to your master. Thank you. Right, you can both relax on that bit. The personal questions are over. Okay, back to the general ones. And these, these ones are around meditation. When in meditation, how important is it to cut off all external distractions to help withdraw the attention inwards? Well, from a practical point of view, meditation is an inward activity where you're withdrawing the attention to within yourself. So naturally, in order to perform this, especially in the early stages of one's spiritual practice, one needs a calm and quiet environment without distractions to make it easier for us to focus our attention within. So it's a very practical reason why. Not because there's any spiritual merit in a quiet or calm situation, but only because it allows us to then not be distracted by the outside sensory stimuli and allow us to withdraw our attention to within ourselves. Aside from knocking on the tenth door with meditation, with love and devotion, is there anything else we can do to speed up our chances of seeing our master in the astral form? Just follow the master's advice. Whatever the master instructs you to do, do it wholeheartedly, without question, without concern for the results. 
only because of one's love and obedience to their master who saved them. Thank you. The next couple of questions are around karma. Is the soul innocent from any karmas? Naturally, the soul has no karma, does not undergo the karmic uh, consequences, but is a spectator of it. So the soul projects something called a mind. It's a tool that it uses to create an illusory world in which it undergoes cause and consequences that we call karma here on earth. So the soul is merely the spectator of the character's actions and reactions and causes and consequences. So as a spectator, it has no bearing on the matter. Just like when we watch a movie and people are killing each other on the stage. The one who's watching it is not implicated at all in this. He's merely a spectator but he's enjoying the whole show. So the soul enjoys the show of the participants, the character playing its part. And it is the character who undergoes these uh, causes and consequences, karmic deeds, not the spectator. Thank you. Where do our desires come from? Is it to do with our past karmas? Actually, um, desires are of two forms. The first one that we understand as human beings are based upon our past impressions um, from our past lives, we call karmas. But actually, karma is what actually is brought before us, it writes our destiny. But our character is determined by something called sanskars. And these are sanskars are our past impressions that are brought from previous life experiences when put together they create impressions upon our mind that cause our mind to react in a certain way, to behave in a certain way. So this, um, these, these karmas or these um, activities are totally separate to samskaras in the sense that um, what is given to us is how we lived our life from past. How we react to that is based upon the impressions we have upon our mind. Thank you. Right, there's a few questions that I've grouped under the title of everyday life, and you'll see why when I ask them. What life habits are helpful in keeping us more focused on our spiritual objective? Well, if we have a spiritual objective, and that becomes our priority, then we naturally do everything in our power to keep us reminded of that and to keep us in that practice, whatever we're doing. For example, although we have to still live our notional life here on earth as a human being, we can certainly hand over everything to our beloved Lord. And by doing so, let the Lord decide the outcome of our actions or rewards for what we do. So it's a way of attitude, a way of life that if we simply make spirituality our priority, then everything we do is geared towards that, attaining that ultimate goal. Even our mundane activities, we do in the Lord's name because we've been given a role to play. And now the role is not selfish anymore. It's actually done for helping the Lord to run the creation. So we see our part being played and our necessary desires being uh, fulfilled 
in order to follow the desires of the Lord, because the Lord too has desire. If the Lord did not have a desire, this creation wouldn't have come into being. The moment the Lord manifested itself in the form of creation, it was born out of desire, the desire to glorify its existence. And that's a totally different type of desire. Uh, you could say a witness, bearing witness to its own glory, a desire to bear witness to its own glory and to multiply its glory and its love infinitely. That is a desire too. Thank you. Is it true that when we find a problem in reality or something we don't agree with, that's just us projecting our flaws onto reality rather than reality not being perfect? Naturally, because <laughs> firstly, this level of reality is illusion anyway. But whilst we are participants in it, we decide that this parts of this reality are good, parts of this reality are bad, mm -hmm. and so on. We give labels to it based upon the character we are playing and our level of understanding. From a higher perspective, good and bad doesn't exist. It's just all illusion. It's all part of the play. Somebody has to play the villain. Somebody has to play the saint. What of it? There's nothing there. It really, it's all smoke and mirrors. So a person who's attuned to higher spiritual truth recognizes this and doesn't get involved in this good and bad business, but just lets life pass by and keeps their objective of spiritual understanding always in, in their fore, in the front, and never strays from that path because they know ultimately they're going to leave this realm and go to another existence, which is far greater, more glorious than this one. So why bother with it all? As vegan and vegetarian, can we have wine, beer, whiskey or cigarettes, as some of these are animal-free products? It's not a question of just being vegan. It's a question of health and well-being that we spoke about earlier, about looking after this body. Now, mind-altering drugs or intoxicants alter the state of mind to base and lower desires. They do not, they hamper and hinder, block spiritual progress. So therefore, not only is a vegan diet stressed, but also the avoidance of intoxicants and mind-altering drugs of any kind, because these harm the mind as well as the body and stop us from being able to follow um, spiritual practice correctly. So that is, that is why we don't take beer and wines and so on. Um, because they are classed as intoxicants and they do alter the state of the mind and don't allow the mind to raise above a lower state of awareness. It's from practical reasons. Thank you. As a satsangi, can I celebrate Christmas? Why not celebrate anything you like? As long as it doesn't cause harm to anybody or to yourself. There's no restriction um, from the Lord's point of view what you celebrate. And you should celebrate every day of your life in the Lord's name. By remembering the Lord every day, that is a good celebration. And if you need to time it for certain times of the year only, well, that is your choice. Personally, I would say, remember the Lord every day, not just at Christmas, and celebrate that remembrance every day, that finally you have the passport, the means to escape the trap of this creation that you have been bound by for millions of births. 
how can a human love their pet and at the same time think it's okay to eat meat? It's simple ignorance. Um, they don't realise that the pet is an animal too. <laughs> they don't realise that the animal that they eat from the shelf in the supermarket is the same stuff as the animal that sits in front of them that they're petting. They have blocked this mm. knowledge from themselves in order to handle these things. So most humans live in ignorance. They don't actually realize what they are doing mm. and that there are consequences to what they're doing because mm. their level of awareness is not that much above the animal itself that they pet. Wow. How can I become less emotionally attached to myself and my family? Do you have any advice? You cannot detach by force. If you try to do that, you'll become abnormal, deranged. The way to do it is to attach yourself to something better. So holy masters always say that if you attach to the supreme Lord or to a spiritual truth, which is greater and more noble than your human attachments, your physical attachments, then naturally you abandon those lower attachments for the higher attachments. So only detach, only attachment can create detachment. So attachment to a higher truth naturally detaches you from lower truth, not the other way around. If you try to detach from something without attaching to something else, you'll never be successful because the mind by its very nature is absorbed in attachments and desires. So by transforming those desires and attachments to a higher state, only then can you leave the lower state. Thank you. How can you increase your attention span? Increasing the attention is with practice. Like with anything else, if you practice long enough with love and devotion, you can attain anything. So to increase your attention, to increase your span, simply practice. The meditation practice given to you by a holy master or focusing upon listening to the discourses of the saints. All these things help to focus your attention on spirituality, which is the true objective of human life. Is finding love the purpose of human life? Only if that love refers to the love of truth. If you become a devotee, a lover of the truth, or that representative of the truth, such as a holy master and lord, which simply is the truth, then that is a love worth chasing, because that love will never leave you, will never deceive you, will never harm you, and it is selfless. It doesn't want anything in return. So that is the ultimate love. Okay, the last one in this section. Do angels exist, and where did this concept of angels start from? Yes, angels exist, so do demons and many other non-physical beings um, that reside in the astral realm. Um, these have been well known throughout man's recorded history. As long as any individual has been able to withdraw their attention and go within themselves, even at the lower levels, they will come into contact with these beings and they have given them various names. Now the names angels and demons actually is from Christianity. Other religions give different names. Um, so the term angel is a Christian term. 
to represent something that's good, angelica, from the Latin, which means good. Thank you. Right, there's a few questions here, about three, relating to astrology. Okay. Right, first one is this. There seems to be a great conjunction on December the 21st, 2020, with Jupiter and Saturn. What is the spiritual significance to this, if any, and also to worldly significance? Well, you see, the entire cosmos is evolving in a specific way. And there are milestones marked along this. In fact, every second, if you had the ability to recognize the pattern, the geometric pattern that is occurring at every moment of uh, the evolution of the creation, then that carries significance. So this particular event is no more significant than any other of the events that are occurring daily. It's just that from astrology point of view, they place a great emphasis on the beneficial planet Jupiter mm -hmm. and the malefic or, or um, malicious planet Saturn. And when they jump together, come together, they think that there'll be fireworks or explosion or a war. That's not the case. But certainly it does create a disturbance in the atmosphere. Uh, you could say a magnetic or an energetic disturbance mm -hmm. that some people who are more in tune with that line of thinking may be more susceptible to. But a spiritual practitioner, it doesn't affect them whatsoever. Thank you. What world or planet did human beings actually originate from? This is a very controversial point, so I will have to be careful how I answer this because the world's not <laughs> ready yet for that. I was going to say, but it is, controversial. it is, it is um, now more and more accepted that the human DNA did not originate from this planet because we are clearly quite different from our nearest relative, the great apes, mm -hmm. in the fact that our ability, in our ability to survive here on Earth compared to the early humans, the hominids, and even the great apes, who are naturally far better at surviving um, with no, without tools and technology than human beings are. For example, human beings are one of the only animals on this planet we suffered sunburn. Mm -hmm. Why would we suffer sunburn if we are top of the creation? We should be the most efficient at being able to survive here on the planet. Similarly, things like evolutionary anomalies like our hair continues to grow, our nails continue to grow, which will impede our survival ability here. We wouldn't be able to feed ourselves or manage mobility or escape without managing these things. Yet these do not exist in any other animal. So we're clearly not from this planet. Our DNA originated somewhere else. And I don't really want to, it doesn't matter how physically we come to this planet. If we planet hop from one to the other over billions of years, as life does um, hop from one planet to another, not just human beings. Um, it's a very controversial point that this is probably not the best time to answer. Okay, thank you. This is the last one in this astrology type question. In many scriptures, there is talk of a firmament and lots of evidence of gravity not being real. If this is the case, 
then it follows we are on a flat earth. What are your thoughts on this? And if true, when will people be awakened to this reality? You see, as long as there are speculative human beings, or I would say bored human beings, there will always be conspiracies and imaginative ideas to explain away their boredom. So they come up with concepts such as a flat earth theory and uh, other consequences around that of not having landed on the moon and various other conspiracies that the aliens are really ruling the country disguised as human beings. So these are endless and it's not proper for me to indulge them in this activity. But I can categorically say that not only from a science point of view, from the astronomer's point of view, from the astronaut's point of view who have left this planetary, who have looked upon this Earth, and from the Lord's point of view, that this Earth is indeed round. <laughs> and, uh, and there's no question of it being simply flat, because space has no up, no down, no left, no right. So therefore, there's nothing needs to be flat in it. And in fact, nothing exists flat in this uh, universe because in, in the outer space, there's no up, no down, no left, no right. So the whole concept doesn't exist. Thank you. Right, the next three questions, and these are the last ones, are around the year 2021. So the first okay. question is, in terms of numerology, what will 2021 bring compared with 2020, both for the world and spiritually? Well, speaking from a numerology point of view, the understanding is that um, we are entering into a universal fifth year. So as a result of that, this means change, ups and downs, and um, new communications new abilities, um, new opportunities, and generally uh, moving away from the past. So one could say that this is uh, a beneficial aspect because the past has not been very pleasant as we've experienced recently. So, but it's not going to be a blessing for everyone because from a numerology point of view, um, people who have a certain characteristic, a certain numerological destiny, path number, are maybe adversely affected by entering a universal five year. So it's not that everybody will be better, but from a universal point of view, barring the individuals living on it, it should be a better year. However, because it marks change as well, and it's also neutral in fact that it has 50% ups and 50% downs, so therefore, there's likely to be economic consequences to what we've just been through now, because five is also associated with financial uh, losses and gains in equal um, way. Thank you. Is 2021 going to be a more positive year? I would say that after Easter um, in 2021, people will be looking forward to the future. Um, as the, this virus epidemic burns itself out, as has always historically happened after two years, viruses maximum last about two years. 
before they mutate their way out of the host species and, and uh, gravitate towards another host, become infected with another host. So naturally, human beings will be free of this virus. This has always happened in all recorded history. Um, for each of the major viruses and in, in plagues and epidemics that have happened in the past, they never survived more than two years uh, because biologically viruses mutate at such a fast rate that by the end of two years they've mutated themselves out of existence of a host species. So from that point of view, things should start looking up because people will feel that that marks uh, the end of the virus, marks uh, a betterment for them. However, there are other problems to follow and the whole 2020s will be quite an upheaval, up and down decade for many reasons, you know, economic problems, um, then other kinds of employment problems, um, then there'll be the weather patterns, freak weather um, changes, climate change issues, um, issues with um, political unrest, emotional uprisings. It's an emotional time, decades for people. Do you mind going back a little bit, because you mentioned about the, the virus? Mm. Can you say something about the vaccine that's been created? Well, the vaccines are a bit too late. The virus itself will be the one that cures us, not the vaccines. You see, there are over 30 strains currently of COVID and choosing a vaccine of the most predominant one, perhaps, uh, might appear to be something towards a cure. And it's understandable why governments are pressurized now to provide some hope for humanity in order to be re-elected. Actually, the real um, cure will come by the virus itself mutating out of human existence. And that will coincide with the general vaccination of the population from about Easter time. So very cleverly timed, you could say. Um, and that coincidence will give people a lot of hope which is a good thing, because if people have hope of a better future, then why not give them that hope, whatever means. Thank you. Right, this is the last one now. Is there anything interesting that I should be looking forward to in the year 2021 that you haven't mentioned already? Interesting. <laughs> Each one has their own karmic existence. Therefore, some will find goodness, some will find badness and everything that comes their way. So interesting. Well, if you want me to predict, <laughs> then certainly you could read the book, um, The Sacred Truth of God, Life and Creation um, series, and their predictions are made in a generalistic way um, for um, the time to come up until about 2055 and then another set beyond that. So I I don't think it's appropriate here to say one thing because I might miss something else out. Mm. But it is a year of change. There's going to be, because it's going to be a year of ups and downs, there'll be positive things like technology and so on. And there'll also be a lot of um, conspiracies and concerns of bad handling and economic um, problems coming next year. Even countries declaring more or less bankruptcy and having to scrape every penny they can from its citizens. Um, for their bad decisions um, of managing the economies of those countries during the pandemic. Um, so I would say the most interesting thing is the revelations that will come out about how badly handled 
the whole affair was with this pandemic and how it ruined so many lives, not because of deaths, but because of business collapse, employment loss, and the consequences of those. That's the saddest thing for me to witness. Right, those are all the questions.